Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of conversations with spiritually awakening people. We've done about 640 of them now. And if this is new to you and you'd like to check out previous ones, please go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, and look under the past interviews menu where you'll see them all organized in several different ways. People who have listened to this show regularly have heard me say that hundreds of times, but the number keeps rising. This program is made possible through the support of appreciative listeners and viewers. So if you appreciate it and would like to help support it, there's a PayPal button uh, on the website, and there's also a page explaining alternatives to PayPal. My guest today is Sebastian Blacksley, and this is my second interview with him. We did the first one a couple of years ago. Sebastian lives in Argentina at the moment. He's in... Uh, in Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires, that's, that's Buenos right. Aires. <laughs> As I mentioned, this is my second interview with him, and the, I've listened to the first one twice this week. Just tune in to what we talked about then so we don't repeat ourselves too much. And I also listened to uh, quite a few sections of some books he has written, his bio is rather long, and you can read it in the description beneath the video or on his BatGap page. But I'd like to start by just asking Sebastian to give us a short biographical sketch of himself for those who may not be familiar with him yet. So why don't you go ahead and do that, Sebastian? Sure. Thank you, Rick, for inviting me to this dialogue. Talking about myself, I'm living in Buenos Aires, where I born. I come from a traditional and large Catholic family in Argentina, and I have the opportunity to travel extensively all over the world due to my business skills. I had studies in Argentina and also in the United States. And since I was young, I have the experience of living my life surrounded to Jesus and Mary and having an inner connection with them. And I grew up with the idea of having this relationship with them just as a regular condition of our existence. So I never thought that I had to do something with that. Until seven years ago, in which I listened to Jesus Christ telling me that it was the time to go outside and share with the world whatever I received from him and from our Immaculate Mother Mary and from the angels. After that moment, I started to receive the messages that I had to write, and those messages became books. Seven of them are already published. The last one was published this month. It is being spread all over the world very fast and universally speaking. After that, I created a foundation in order to be able to do this. I mean, to share everything that I received with everyone. And now I'm conducting the foundation and fully dedicated to this lovely task of sharing the Divine Lab with everyone who wants to listen and to receive it. Thank you. So the way I understand what you're doing, based just on the understanding I've developed over the years, is that there's more to life than meets the eye. 
and that there are subtle realms of creation, we might call them celestial realms or something, where celestial beings reside. This might sound far out to some people, but I'm sorry. This is the way I understand things, and many people have throughout history understood that. And some people have been gifted with being able to perceive those realms and communicate with those beings. And you are one such person. I've interviewed a lot of people who say that they are channeling some higher being, and there are a great many more people whom I haven't interviewed who are saying that. From what I gather, the channeling takes place in different ways. With some, it's auditory. With some, it's visual. With some, it's both. That's true with you, too. I've heard you describe that it can be any number of different things. But sometimes what you've described, and we didn't really talk about this in the first interview, is that it's extremely clear and visual, right down to being able to see their faces clearly, the expressions on their faces, the kind of clothing they're wearing, the trim on their garments, you know, what color it is, and this different colored garments for different people and all that. So just to establish a context for what we're going to talk about today, maybe you could start by explaining your experience in greater detail when you have one of these communications, and it's a very visual one, like as some of them are, how does it start? How long does it last? Are you sitting there with your eyes open, seeing this in a so-called external form? Or is it more in your mind's eye and you're just visualizing it inwardly? Thank you, Rick, for giving me the opportunity to share that I receive whatever Christ wants me to receive. By that, I mean that that comes to me without doing anything by myself. It just comes to me. No matter whether sometimes I'm praying and I receive those visitations, sometimes I'm just walking down the street or doing ordinary things in my house or wherever in my ordinary life. And it comes to me in many different ways. Sometimes it comes in visions, like you said before, and I see the humanity of Jesus Christ when he wants to be present in his humanity. Same happens with our Immaculate Mother Mary. When I say the humanity, I'm talking about the body, the face, and the clothes and everything that they want to show. It also happens with archangels and angels. They come to me with a form, with a body, representing in the way I can understand. And this is important to mention in this explanation because heaven talks to us. Let's say God talks to us or the Holy Spirit talks to us in the way we can understand. So he uses the symbols that we can understand. In my case, when I see the humanity of Jesus, I see him as the traditional aspect of his image, as we know that in the Christian world. And he talks to me like a human being, like I'm talking with you right now. And that can happen with my eyes closed 
or open. And also, as I said before, during the time that I'm making ordinary things in my life, at that moment, I understand in my soul that the vision is coming because I receive uh, an advice. It's like a wind that is recognized by my mind and my heart. And I know that the vision is going to come suddenly at that moment. And everything in my heart becomes in peace and rest in harmony suddenly. And I can see how my spiritual eyes are open and I can see that without interfering my activities. Does it ever happen when you're driving a car or playing rugby? I don't, you probably don't play rugby anymore or you know, <laughs> something that is very engaging like that or does it have to be a little bit more settled state for this thing to happen? It has been changing because it's a relationship and I guess it is because once we receive the visitations of them, we have to become accustomed to that. So at the very beginning, that happened when I was alone at home doing nothing, even though I was sometimes not praying, but I was alone and in silence. But a couple of years later, it started to happen everywhere and at any time, no matter where, whether I was driving or uh, in, in the supermarket or walking down the street. Or, of course, if I played rugby, it could happen at that time, at that <laughs> moment as well. But I don't play the rugby any longer. I know so I found now, it ironic that a peace-loving guy like you would play such a violent sport. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but now it happens at any time. So I would say that finally God comes to your reality, to your daily reality, and you can interact with them in your ordinary life without interfering your activities. In fact, there was a moment after which I started to listen to them giving me advice about some particular aspect of the decisions that I have to make in my ordinary life. Sometimes they come to me and they say, don't go to this place or go to that place. They guide me, you know, as a real mother or father who is walking together with their son. So now it is happening no matter where I am. When this first started happening to you, did you find it extremely awe-inspiring, amazing? No, no, because I guess I started to receive the communications with Jesus Christ when I was very young, since I have memories. You had a, a car accident. In the first right. interview, we talked about the experience in the car accident, but that was not the first one and not the only one. So every time that they come to me, I feel deeply in my heart that I am with someone that I know always and with someone who knows myself from ever and ever. So it's like being with one of your best friend or with your mother or your father who you love and who loves you. You feel a big flood of devotion when these experiences happen? Absolutely. I feel emerged and embraced by a love that has no beginning or end. 
And at that moment, I feel safe and loved as never before. And at that moment, I also understand because of that love that flows from the heart of Jesus or Mary or whoever comes to me, because of that flow of love, I know myself as I am. I know that that love in which I am embraced is who I am. So I not only feel that I'm loved, but I also feel that I'm secure in the truth. By that, I mean that my mind becomes in rest and in peace because there are no thoughts, because my mind already knows everything in that interaction. These various beings who present themselves to you, archangels and Jesus and, and Mary, do you think that there might be people like yourself who happen to be living in Tibet or who are Australian Aborigines or raised in a completely different non-Christian culture to whom these very same beings are presenting themselves, but in forms that those people can relate to? Or do you think perhaps that sensitive people such as yourself in those circumstances and cultures would be interacting with entirely different beings who are nonetheless, you know, serving some kind of divine role on earth? Also, thank you for that question, because it refers to the universality of love and wisdom. Since the truth is universal, the Holy Spirit can be with others in so many different ways. So I am sure because it was revealed to me by Archangel Raphael that they visit others, even though they don't have the same culture, the same background. Some of them can recognize them, even though the shape or the way of being with the person is not related to their symbols or culture. And the reason why that happens is because the soul knows who Christ is. So that soul can recognize the Christ that is in Jesus, in Mary, in archangels or angels or in so many other beings. And they are able to do that. So there are some people who receive the visitation of Jesus Christ, even though they are not in the Christian world, and they can recognize him perfectly well from heart to heart. That's what I know. I guess I'm just wondering, does Jesus appear to them? Let's say you were a, a visual artist and you were able to paint what you see, and some Aborigine or Native South American in Andes or something like that were to also be a visual artist, would they paint the same figure or would they perhaps paint a divine being who looked like an Aborigine or who had dark skin or you know, who looked very different than the way Christ is commonly represented in art? Both cases. There are cases in which Jesus appears in the same way as it happens to me and also our Immaculate Mother Mary. And even though they never knew about that person, in that case, Jesus or Mary, and they recognized them perfectly well. So they would, in those cases, they would paint the same figure as I would paint. 
this might seem like a dumb question, but what does Jesus look like? I've seen pictures of what Jesus might actually have looked like, and it's very different than the way he's usually painted in the West, given his probable genetic makeup and everything. He's quite dark-skinned with curly hair and, and so on. Does he look like that, or does he sort of look like the Jesus you usually see in certain um, paintings? It's difficult to answer that question because I saw so many paintings in the Western area with so many different faces and colors. In my case, I see him as the traditional way, as we think about him in terms of being someone from Jerusalem at that time and with long hair, not dark. I see him very, very whitey or kind of with light. So the hair and the skin is very, very white and with the same tunics and same style as I can imagine someone from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Okay. So a little bit more on this theme. Um, so you, so far in this conversation, we've mentioned Jesus and Mary, you mentioned archangels, and, I, and you referred to Gabriel and Raphael, angels. In your book, you mentioned sometimes that a choir of angels comes along when these archangels come and they sing for a bit and then they stop and the archangels speak to you. So I guess what you're saying is that there are a lot of varieties of celestial beings and there's a hierarchy of them. Some of them are more exalted and have greater authority or wisdom than others. Is there anything you can say to elaborate on that? I mean, really basically describing the denizens of, of heaven if you were to write a book just about that, what sorts of beings live in this celestial realm and what their various roles are, you know, what are some of the things you would say? Thank you for bringing this to, to the dialogue because this talks about hierarchies. That is one of the, the messages that I receive. In terms of universal consciousness, there is no something like hierarchies. There is something like diversity. Love is more related to diversity than hierarchies. So what I see is an uncountable core of angels with so many different aspects that I cannot count because it's uncountable. They are all different in form, the angelic form, but somehow my soul knows that they are the same in their essence because they are constituted by love. And in that sense, the difference between an archangel and an angel or the different beings that are in the celestial kingdom are different expression of the same love. And you understand that perfectly well. I think to understand this easily in this earthly kingdom, we can say that we see different beings in, in the earth, and all of them are expression of life. There is life in a bird, in a flower, and in a human being with different forms. When you have the vision of heaven, 
your mind and your heart understands perfectly well that the essence of all of them is the same as it is the same for me. And we are all different shapes, different forms of expressing the divine love. In that sense, because the divine love is infinite, there are infinite beings in the universe, I mean in the creation, and all of them are in the same level of love. There are no hierarchies in the universe. Yeah, we talked about this in our last interview, and we talked about how all the electrical appliances in your house run off the same electrical current. And you don't say that the refrigerator is better than the nightlight or that it's better than the television. They, they all just serve different functions and each one has its purpose. But, you know, by that token, there's the line in the Bhagavad Gita, which says that the, the enlightened being sees the self in all beings and all beings in the self. And so whether in a mosquito or a dog or an elephant or a human being or a celestial being it's all ultimately the same essence same self and those different beings serve different functions but you you could speak of a hierarchy in terms of greater and greater capacity to be a conduit for divine intelligence someone like jesus if we want to use a light bulb analogy, radiates a lot more light than someone whose light is just like a little tiny candle light. You know, I understand that on one level, there are no hierarchies and all is one and there's an underlying unity to everything. But on a relative level, there are different functions and some of them have greater spheres of influence than others and and generate greater power and authority or possess greater power and authority than others. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. As far as I received the revelation, Jesus said once to me that the difference between one being and another being is just the capacity to be in union with the sacred heart. Mm-hmm. How united to the center of the sacred heart is the difference between one consciousness and another one. So we are all expression of the same love, but we don't have the same consciousness in terms of being able to become one with God. Even though we are part of him, a human being, for instance, has, I would say, a greater or a bigger capacity to become one with God because our consciousness has the capacity to know him in a way which is different than in a rock or in a planet, even though all of them are expression of divine love. So in that sense, yes, there are hierarchies in terms of the capacity to become one with God. So the question in terms of our consciousness in this matter is how deeply united I am with the heart of God, or not. Deeply, and perhaps another good word is clearly, you know, because there might be a foggy, unclear sense of unity, but it could become much, much, much more clear, and that clarity can continue to grow. Yes, you are right, uh, according to the revelation that I received, because we give our soul to Christ. We give our heart and our mind. 
And he said once to me that, I mean, Jesus Christ said once to me that the heart was given to us to be the throne of love. And our mind was given to us to be the throne of the truth. Throne, so you're saying throne. Yeah. The, yeah, the throne of truth. So with our mind, we can access the divine knowledge with the clarity that you mentioned before. So both love and light are together. So yes, we become more clear in our mind so we can access to the true knowledge of the divine love. Yeah. In, in a different way than other consciousness. Right. And I often think of people who are doing spiritual work as being instruments of the divine. I think I've heard you refer to yourself that way. You feel kind of like you're a tool or an instrument in the hands of a master musician. And you're not playing the music. I mean, you're just a, a means through which others can hear the music. But the, the composer and the player is, is really something much bigger than yourself. Yes. And in fact, Jesus uses an expression with me. He says that I am a pencil in the hands of God. Right. And sometimes he uses the expression, a pencil in the hands of love, uh, which is the same because the key message that I receive is that God is love. And we are ready to know this truth in a deeper way in our knowledge and in our heart. A pencil in the hands of God means what you said. It's an instrument. Pencil is nothing without the hand. And it's useless if, if the hand doesn't use it. So I think it's a, a good metaphor to understand what you said. Yes, we are an instrument because we have been created to be instruments of love. Yeah, and it is interesting, too, that not only you, but many people have had visitations like this. It's almost like Jesus and whoever else is is operating from that side of things is always looking for good candidates, you know, to be pencils, to be representatives. And when they find somebody, then it, I almost get the sense that there's a celebration. Oh, boy, you know, here's another one. We can work through this person. Sometimes it's people who have near-death experiences. You know, they have this near-death experience and it totally opens them up to a, a vision that they never imagined. And then they're told, all right, you're not going to die yet. You have to go back. You have work to do. And then they come back and they have a big impact because of the experience they've had. And they, they feel like there's a purpose in their saying that stuff. It, it, it helps people in the world that they wouldn't have helped if they had actually just died. Yeah, that's very interesting because in my case, I always talk uh, based on my experience. In my case, I know deeply in my heart and my mind that this direct relationship that I have with Jesus and our Immaculate Mother Mary and celestial beings is not something extraordinary. I know clearly well that this is happening with every single human being. No matter whether some people don't realize that or not, whether they are aware of or not. Because our human consciousness can go in a separate way than the true consciousness that we have. So 
deep in our heart and in our consciousness, we are all connected with these beings. And there is a relationship. That relationship exists and is happening in the center of the heart of every human being. What happens is that sometimes some people become aware of that relationship. But there is nothing extraordinary on talking with Jesus or Mary or the angels or archangels or many other different celestial beings. In fact, something that I realized based in my experience is that it would be absolutely extraordinary not to have a relationship with them because it's just impossible. So God talks to every single heart. And it was shown to me that dialogue between God and other beings in in the earthly kingdom, like animals or flowers, because creation is a dialogue. And that dialogue is constantly being established between God and the soul, no matter whether we are aware of of not uh, about that. So everyone can talk to them. Finally, everyone will talk to them. Your books are called Choose Only Love, and it does seem that sometimes one has a choice. About a month ago, I interviewed a woman named Irma Francis. And when she was eight years old, she was playing in her family's living room, and she heard a voice which said, go out on the porch. So she went out on the porch, and it's as if, something opened and just started pouring down into her. And uh, she had this flood of all this knowledge and insight and profound awakening, realization that she had. And at a certain point when this was happening, she was told that she had a choice. She said, either you can stay open like this, or you can just have it shut down and live an ordinary life. And she said, I'll stay open. So (laughs) she's been living this extraordinary life with this deep insight and awakening. You probably don't feel like you ever had a choice. It just started happening to you when you were very young and you've cooperated with it. But other people seem to manage to, whether they're even aware of anything to begin like this to begin with, they seem to manage to stay pretty well shut down and unaware of the higher potential that could be there for them. Yes, I agree with what you said. I think what you are talking about now is the essence of what all the manifestations that I receive is trying to share with everyone. The essence of the message is that we came here to make a choice. That is the reason why we are in this earthly kingdom. We came to know who we are in order to make the decision to what Jesus calls the fundamental option. The fundamental option is to choose only love forever and ever, as your identity and as your reality. And that is something that we are doing here in this earthly kingdom. And this is the perfect world in which we can do that, according to Jesus Christ. In my case, yes, I walked through the dark night for a long period of time in my existence in in this earthly kingdom. And Jesus explained me that that period of my spiritual path was the time, in my case, to make the option for Christ, the option for love. So everyone has that experience. Maybe the experience is different from 
one to another one. But there is one moment in our life, in this life, in which we are making a decision. And we make the decision for choosing only love forever and ever as our identity and our reality. And something that I knew based on the revelations that I received is that that happens in what we called the kingdom of time. There are two kingdoms of time, according to the revelation that I received. One is with this body, and we can keep going in the realm of time without body. And that is the time that we have in order to make this choice. I didn't completely understand that. So we can keep going without a body, did you say? There's this period of time when we're in a body, but we can keep going without a body. Is, is that what you said? Yeah, what I'm trying to say is that this is the realm, the kingdom of time and space and body or form or matter. This is what we call the earthly kingdom. But time doesn't finish in this realm. So there is a dimension in which time keeps going for the soul who didn't make the choice here, but needs more time without the body. Let's say the soul needs 2,000 years to make that choice. God gives that soul that time to make that choice. And of course, it's not going to be with the body, but the time would keep going for that soul so that soul can make that choice. But everyone, sooner or later, achieved the stage in which we have to make the choice. And of course, then there's the whole notion of reincarnation, which is not emphasized in Christianity, although some scholars say it was part of it early on. So then sometimes we're with a body, sometimes we're yeah, yeah, without a body, right. we go back and forth. Right. Finally, that cycle finishes when the soul makes the choice. Yeah. So we have time to make the choice for acknowledging love as our identity and the only reality. Another sort of silly question occurred to me. When you have these communications, are they in Spanish? Or is it pre-verbal so that there's really not an actual language involved, just the knowledge is conveyed in some kind of fundamental way? That's a very interesting question because it comes with no words. Love has no words. So it comes in sounds and images that the soul can understand perfectly well without any need of translating anything. However, when that communication that comes to me in symbols and music and sounds goes to the human aspect of who I am, it needs to be translated. In that process that I'm aware of, Archangel Raphael helps me, he is in charge of that process of translating the heavenly language into the human language. And at that moment, he translates into Spanish and English because they are the languages that I can speak. And sometimes he translates into some languages that I don't know. So he explains to me. Those cases are just with some words, but mainly it is translated into Spanish and English. 
to me. So I write all the messages in Spanish and English, and then they become books. And obviously, there are all kinds of wonderful, inspiring experiences we have that they don't have anything to do with the language. If we listen to a Beethoven symphony, it's not in German. Right. You know, it's just in right, right, doesn't right, matter what right. language you speak. Yes, and, and I think you, you gave a great example because music has its own language. And we just feel it. And we know it express, what it expresses. However, when we need to write messages, we need human words. And that's the function of Archangel Raphael to help me to translate into human words. Good. Okay, so there were some points that you and our friend Glenn, who is your publisher, wanted to make sure we covered. I have at least three questions that have come in from people, and there'll probably be more. Sure. Um, I'll just read the points, and you can begin to elaborate on them. One is a point about prophets and the new consciousness, which is in book three of your um, Choose Only Love series. So what's that all about, prophets and the new consciousness? That chapter talks about a new way of understanding the concept of prophet. It says that now, because we are in a new consciousness, in a new age, which is actually called the age of the heart, we are going to see the prophet in a different way. The new way of understanding the prophet is to understand that we are all called to be prophets in terms of receiving and giving the message from heaven. Because to understand the mission of prophets, which means the mission of all of us, is that we are now in the time of the direct relationship with God. So now, according to the revelation that I received Humanity is ready to return to that direct relationship, which means that everyone can establish uh, direct communications with God and to be guided by him and act in terms of what that dialogue brings to that person. And because that dialogue brings the fact that we know who we are Humanity is ready now to answer the question of who we are and to understand that we are love and nothing else but love. And that knowledge is something that we know directly from that direct relationship with God. And expressing the love that we are is giving the message that we are receiving. Because the new message that the Christ consciousness is given to humanity is that we are love and we are called to express that truth in our humanity. That is what Choose Only Love calls the age of the second advent, the consciousness of the second advent, means to incarnate Christ in our humanity and to express the love that we are with our uniqueness and in that sense, we are all called to be prophets because we are receiving the message of who we are, understanding the love that we truly are, and expressing that love, which means delivering or giving that message that we have been received. That's why for Choose Only Love is so important to understand that we have been created to be loved, to receive love, 
So let yourself be loved is an important part of choose only love to receive the love of God in order to allow that love to be extended through our humanity. That's the meaning of the new prophet for the series of choose only love. And in that sense, we are all called to be prophet because we are all called to express the Christ that we truly are. So in other words, the new advent or second coming of Christ is not in terms of some man coming and announcing himself, but it's in terms of Christ consciousness awakening in lots of people around the world. Right. In fact, there is a chapter that talks about that, and it says exactly what you mentioned before. Second advent for Jews only love is not going to be like Jesus Christ coming back to the earth like he did 2,000 years ago, because there is no need to do that. It's going to be a universal consciousness event in which we are all together will see the love that we truly are, and we will at the same time have the capacity to express that in our humanity, in you, in me, and in everyone, because we have been created by love and to extend that. And of course, spiritual people have been talking about this kind of thing for quite a while, probably even a couple thousand years, that there's some better time coming for the world. And I mean, the very word new age, you know, and people talk about the new age is a, an allusion to that, that um, this old age, which is so problematic in so many ways, is its days are numbered and there's a bright new age coming. I think some people have believed that and eventually given up on the idea. Others still believe it. I believe it. I, th I think something better is coming. What I see as the evidence for it is that there's such a proliferation of interest in spirituality and so many people in so many different walks of life having spiritual awakenings, which is what this interview show is all about. I feel like somehow or other the influence that will have might save the day and uh, you know enable humanity to continue. According to Choose Only Love and the other revelations that I receive, which are going to become books after Choose Only Love, we are, I would say, in the beginning of what is going to be the new earthly kingdom. That's the expression that this revelation uses. The new earthly kingdom is an earthly kingdom with bodies and time and space and matter, but with full connection with heaven, which means that the love that we truly are is going to be expressed not only in humanity, but also in all the material universe. That is the, the earthly kingdom. And we are walking to that. And Just Only Love says that that earthly kingdom is going to come to us sooner than what we believe, usually. and It explains a lot of things about how this is going to come. Certainly, it talks about a new earthly kingdom that is coming to us, and we are in the process of making that real. You and I talked about this quite a bit in our first interview, and I think we talked about whether there will have to be some kind of purging or collapse of old systems in order for the new system to emerge. And if you talk to people in Somalia or certain places in Central America or 
Bangladesh or Afghanistan or now Ukraine, which is getting blown to bits, and you tell them, oh, this beautiful heavenly thing is coming, they might think you're crazy. Is all this chaos we're seeing in certain areas and certain problems which seem to be getting worse and worse, like climate change, uh, in some way a, uh, a precursor, a necessary dark night of the soul or a necessary karmic payoff or something for a new age to come? Could it be avoided or is it something we have to suffer through or that some people have to suffer through? The transforming period in which we are now is part of the process. In one level, it cannot be stopped because the transformation is needed. However, it can be experienced in a different way. And that depends on how deeply we are connected to our source. In that sense, the transforming time that we are living now and it's going to be extended for a certain time, can be understood as what it is. And when I say that, I mean that we can understand that we as soul decided to come to this specific time and space to co-create that transformation with Christ in order to allow the new earthly kingdom to be born. So once we understand that we are part of this and we decided to come to this time and space because it's the perfect time and space for our soul to be part of the co-creation with God, we can walk through all of this with peace instead of walking through fear. So the transforming period is going to exist, but we can walk through that with love or fear, depending on our decision. And it's easier for you and I to say that, but if we were in one of these Ukrainian cities that are being bombed, it would take a greater inner strength, I think, to um, be fearless. Yes. However, even though in that situation, we can always have the expression of love, because every time that there is something dark in this reality, next to that, it is love. So it is happening right now with those countries which are in war. We also can see how many other countries are trying to help people and they can have the expression of love, even though within that difficult situation. So love will be present at that moment and give the opportunity to embrace that person with more strength and power than if that person was not in that uh, difficult situation. So no matter what the situation is, we always can see love. Yeah, and there are some beautiful examples of that within Ukraine, too, of people helping each other. Somebody was emailing me the other day and saying that the solution to the war in Ukraine would be for us to love Vladimir Putin enough. And I said, yeah, you know, But sometimes you need tough love because some people just aren't going to be receptive to it. I mean, could we have loved Hitler enough to have stopped what he did? Maybe if billions of people really had were able to pour it on, but I'm just a little skeptical myself. I'm definitely not a bellicose person, but I 
I sometimes feel that sometimes the military response is needed if there's a military aggressor. And sometimes you can get away with the kind of uh, tactic Gandhi used, satyagraha, passive resistance or nonviolence, but it doesn't always work that way. Feel free to disagree with me. According to the revelation that I receive, it's all about identity. As we said before, we are here to know who we are. And when we talk about embracing someone with the love that we truly are, we need to understand who is the other for us. Because if we think about the ego of the other person, which is the name that I use to explain the identity that is not true in that person, we cannot love that because that is not real. Love and truth are always together. And that is something that comes also into Sonly Love. It says that love and truth are together. So we need to love what is true in the other person. And that is the Christ that he truly is. And it is not loving the false identity of that person. Because love doesn't see that as real. So love can never love what is not real, can understand and be patient and do so many things with that. But when we say embracing the other in the divine love, we are talking about the real I of that person, which is beyond his or her ego. And something that I understood from the revelation that I received is, and this is just what I received in this revelation. I'm not saying this is the same for everyone, but this is how I receive it. Love can never love what is not real. That's a good answer. Sometimes Christians say, love the sinner, but not the sin. In other words, love the person who is in his essential nature, love that, but don't necessarily love what he's doing or his false ego. Right. And I thank you for expressing that in that way, because that was a a big question that I had when I was a teenager. I listened to that so many times, and I couldn't understand that very well. But thanks to the revelation that I received, when we know who we are, we know that there are some people that they don't know who they are. And that's why they do things that love would never do. And when we know that from the bottom of our heart, with our consciousness, we understand that expression that you mentioned before in a very, very deep way. And that is true. We need to love what is real. And the only real thing is love. Or like what Jesus meant when he said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Right. He saw the deeper value of those people who were crucifying him. Because he knows who he is and he knows what the truth is, when he says, he explained that, he said that, what he's trying to say that if we don't know who we are, we don't know what we do because we don't know what we want. We don't know what our will is because we don't know who we are. So everything that we do is something that comes from ignorance of our true identity. So every time that we don't know who we truly are, we are going to act against love because we are love. However, once we know who we are based on the revelation that we receive in our soul, 
we would never do something different than love because everything that we do is an expression of what we believe who we are. Yeah, I often think of that when I hear that phrase, what would Jesus do? Um, when someone says that, I think, well, you're going to have to know yourself as well as Jesus did, and then you'll naturally do what Jesus would have done or what you would do in a similar state of consciousness. But if a person is totally lost to who they are, they can't hope to do what Jesus would do because there's just no ground from which to behave in such a way. This is wonderful, this part of this dialogue, because this is the essence of what Choose Only Love and all the revelation that I receive is bringing to humanity. It is a revelation that is saying that we as humanity are ready to answer the question of who we are and to know that we are love and nothing else but love. When we don't know that, no matter whether we create rules, we are not going to be able to follow after the rule of love because we don't know what love is. When we try to be a good person or walk through the virtuosity or through good behaviors, or we do an idol from the moral rules, if we don't connect that with love, sooner or later, all of that is going to be used to create suffering. Jesus said, your intelligence without love is cruel, creates suffering. So we can be intelligent, but that intelligence, if that mind is not connected to love, we are going to create suffering. The issue is not how Jesus would act in this moment or not, but how love would act in this situation or not. What love would do in this moment or with this person. And if we ask that question, we will know the answer. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it took a lot of intelligence to develop the atomic bomb and to develop technologies which have created climate change and to develop the plastics that have filled the Pacific Ocean. I, mean, I could go on and on. You know, pretty smart people develop those things. But the underlying motivation was not love. It was usually profit or greed or some less than uh, divine purpose. I've often thought in terms of rebalancing things in the world in terms of higher consciousness counterbalancing the intellectual knowledge we've gained. But it's, it's actually a little even more clear when we think of it in terms of love. If physicists and industrialists and everybody else were saintly in terms of the fullness of their love, then I, I imagine we could have all of these inventions and industries and, and everything else in a, uh, a benign role that would create good for people and, and not harm. Yes, you're right, and I agree, I agree with what you said. The revelation that I received talks about the time of union, that we are living in the time of union. Archangel Raphael explains that expression, and it says that it is the time of union because it is the time in which our mind and our heart can go together. And he explains the meaning of separation in terms of a disconnection between our mind and our heart. 
So now we are in the time of the heart because we are in the time in which our intelligence, our mind is perfectly able to follow what love wants. He talks about having two languages, the language of the mind and the language of the heart. In the past, those languages were not connected. They were in conflict in human beings. But now we are ready to stop with that conflict, with that conflict of identity, and to understand that there can be and must be a dialogue between our mind and our heart. And as a result of that dialogue of love, we can be guided by the truth. The truth is love and truth going together, heart and mind going together, so we can return to the integrity of our soul. That's what Raphael says. That's what we are because we are love, and so we, we need to use all our humanity to serve love instead of serving something different. One impression that I get as I listen to you is that this is a time of opportunity. It's a time when um, it's possible for people to make spiritual progress or have spiritual breakthroughs that might have been a lot more difficult to make 50 or 100 years ago. And that's perhaps why so many people seem to be having these kinds of breakthroughs. Sure. In fact, the angel talks about seven waves of consciousness to explain the history of creation. Like waves of waves. an ocean? Yeah, waves okay. of consciousness. He said to me that we just finished the age of reason, and now we are getting into the age of the heart. So we come from a consciousness which was basically focused on, on the mind and was disconnected from the heart, from the emotion, from feelings, because the consciousness at that moment was not able to do that. Now we are in the time in which we can integrate that. And if we see that, we can have an appreciation of our brothers and sisters in the past because they helped us to be in this moment in which we can integrate both our mind and our heart, the truth and love as the unity that it truly is. Another main point that you wanted to make sure we discussed is the gift of divine relationship. And you said, this soars, <laughs> uh, S-O-A-R-S. Have we really touched on that yet, the gift of divine relationship? Yes, as, as I said before, according to the revelation that I received, we are in the time of a direct relationship with God. Jesus said to me that this confusion that we are observing and experiencing in the world is part of the process. Because of this confusion, in this moment, every soul is directing his and her energy to the divine source. Because it is a time in which the soul just wants to have the guidance of the divine source. None, none other guidance is safe for human beings right now. And if we see that, we can see that in our ordinary life, we don't feel security in our governments or in our religious system or in our political systems or in so many other systems. Because 
all of them are collapsing and are being transformed. So within this transformation, we feel unsafe. And because of that lack of security that we experience in this moment, we move our heart into what we know deeply in our soul. It is the true security of who we are, which is God, the divine source. So we are now in a state of consciousness in which we are perfectly ready to reestablish the direct communication with God as it was in the very beginning, according to what Jesus said, in which the soul and the source was talking directly with no disconnection of any kind. Because of that relationship, which is the gift that we receive from God um, to our soul, we create the new earthly kingdom because relationship is all about union. So we are in a time in which we are ready to return to the unity with our divine source. And that union will create a new love. That union is powerful according to what Choose Only Love is telling us. And as an effect of that union, we will heal the world and bring the earthly kingdom to this reality. That's interesting. A lot of religions have tried to tell people that, well, you need a priest or you need a guru or you need a shaman to be an intermediary between you and God. What you're saying is we can all experience God directly. And for those who aren't religious, they think of, oh, this political leader or this rock star or this economic expert. They look to experts or people with temporal power as authorities and as inspirations. But what you're saying is that all those authorities and the institutions they represent are on very shaky ground these days, including the religious institutions. A lot of people are losing faith in them. Nobody trusts the government. The economy could do anything. So where do you find security? I was on a boat ride on Lake Lucerne with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in 1974 or five, and he was talking about this big transition that the world was going to undergo. And someone said, well, it sounded kind of scary. And someone said, well, how, how can we survive this? And he said, hold on to the self. I think that's what you're saying here is that that's the foundation upon which we can enjoy security and lack of fear. And everything else can go to hell in a handbasket. But if we have that foundation, nothing will shake us. You are right. And I really thank you for bringing this to the dialogue, because that is also the essence of the revelation that I receive in terms of how to leave this transitional time. Our Immaculate Mother Mary constantly says, remain in me, remain in me. If you remain in me, fear will not take over your heart or your mind. The outside world, let's use that expression, which means everything that we experience surrounding us, the outside world is having now an energy that no one will be able to manage. And that is because we need to return back to our heart to the center of who we are, where God and myself lives 
a direct relationship of divine love here, now, and forever. And that space in my soul exists. And it is not only in my soul, but in every single soul. And it is perfectly possible to remain there. So we can receive the grace of the indifference of the world, which means to see the world as something outside, but we remain centered in our inner temple. And in that temple, we remain in peace and we know who we are. And because we know who we are, we are safe. That's why we are experiencing now a very confusing world and very unstable world. And our Immaculate Mother Mary said that to me. She said, the outside world is not going to be something that you can bear with. No longer because of that, that energy. So you have to remain in your soul, in the love that you truly are. And there you will be untouchable. And you can walk through all of this without fear and without being hurt. Reminds me of Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, another point. The art of living, especially the distinction between the world and the universe. What's that about? To solely love and the revelations that I received takes time to explain some concept so we can understand things more easily. And one of the distinctions that it makes is the distinction between universe and world. It calls world as the relationship that we establish with what is surrounding us. So for choose only love and the revelations that I receive, world is everything that I have a direct relationship with my humanity and how I establish that relationship. That's why there are so many worlds in humanity because every human is a world. Because When we say the world, we are talking about those interactions that I have in this earthly kingdom and the meaning that I give to those interactions. And universe is something bigger for Jews only love. Universe is what God created, what God has created as an expression of love, which is the whole existence, not only the realm of time and space and matter, but also the other dimensions that the universe, that is not something that we call world. World is just the relationships that I established with few aspects of that universe. And that is the part that has to be transformed because it's the meaning that I give to the relationships that I established in this earthly kingdom. Okay, I'm going to probe you on that a little bit because I'm not completely sure I understand what you just said. If I get this wrong, just correct me. But I think you're saying by world, the sphere of influence in a human being's life and their relationship with that sphere of influence or sphere of interactions and relationships and perception and so on, that that which immediately concerns us, whereas that's just a tiny little speck by comparison with the vast universe, most of which is well outside the range of our perception or knowledge. And yet we have a relationship with that too. And yet we're generally unaware of it 
but nonetheless, everything is ultimately one and ultimately interconnected or intercorrelated. So our individual sphere of influence is relevant to the larger sphere of the universe. That was my interpretation of what you said, but did I get it or are you saying something different? Um, I think you, you got it because fear is the consciousness of condensed consciousness, actually. Fear, yeah, it's a condensed consciousness. So we establish so few relationships with few things, even though we believe it's a lot, but it's compared to the vastness of the universe is so tiny. The relationships we establish in our human experience, and that is what we call the world. My interactions, your interaction, and all humankind interactions constitutes the world. However, that is like using an expression that is in Chusungri Lab, that is like a, a small and tiny part of sand compared to the whole universe. However, it is connected. You said that tiny aspect of our interactions are connected with the vastness of the universe. And that is true because the other part of the universe, which we don't have a relationship in our human consciousness, is what we call the unconsciousness. And of course, it is related one with the other one. So it is in this world, it is in this part of what we are aware of, recover the truth of who we are. So once we do that in this world, in these tiny and small relationships that we establish with the vastness of the universe, it is here and now where we can allow the unconsciousness to become conscious and we return to the totality. Yeah, sometimes when I've been on an airplane and I'm flying into a city, either it's nighttime and you see all the twinkling lights or it's daytime and you see all the little houses and, you know, sometimes I thought, I've just imagined all the lives being lived in each of those little houses, the dramas being played out. And then, I mean, if you zoom out, let's imagine you're in the International Space Station orbiting the Earth every 90 minutes or so. And, and you know, imagine their perspective from what they see or the guys who went to the moon and looked back on the Earth. And to them, it, it really seemed absurd that we have all these boundaries and that we fight over everything. And then the, there's a picture that uh, Carl Sagan commented on, which is he calls it pale blue dot, where it's a picture of the Earth taken from way out past Saturn or something, you know, by some Voyager spacecraft or something like that. And he comments on, you know, all the wars and all the catastrophes and all the dramas that have, have ever taken place are, are people fighting on this little pale blue dot. And then you can take it out farther and look at a picture of a, a, an entire galaxy, and you know, which is incomprehensibly large. I play this game with myself all the time, zooming out, looking at pictures of galaxies and stuff, but it keeps things in perspective as far as the sphere of one's individual life compared to the magnitude of God's life. Yes, that is what we are. We are both of that. We yeah. are this drama that we live in our human existence, that if we look at that within the whole universe in comparison with the vastness of creation, 
seems to be nothing, but it is not nothing because it's an expression of who we are. So it is the part in our existence in which we can become aware because we come from unconsciousness. We come from forgetting who we are. That's the definition of unconsciousness for choose only love. And in this world, we become and begin to remember we came to this existence, I mean, to the human experience, to remember who we are and to remember individually and collectively so we can, you know, take all the unconsciousness and bring it to the light. So this tiny experience, as you mentioned, is so tiny compared to the vastness of the universe. But however, it is the perfect place where we can wake up and remember who we are and to bring light to the rest of the universe. Because that is something that I received from the revelations. Our consciousness as human beings is so important because we are who will, in union with Christ, bring the whole universe to the light through our consciousness, through through our human consciousness. So we are going to bring the planets, flowers, animals, and everything that exists into Christ with him. That's good. And what I would say to that is that the trick is to integrate boundaries and boundless. We live our individual life. We have our individual friends and, and all this stuff. But at the same time, we're cosmic and our true status dwarfs the universe by comparison. It's unbounded. It's vast. And both of those qualities can be lived simultaneously. Yes, that reminds me our first interview when we talk about the paradox. That was one of the conferences that you had. Yes, and I think it's very important to keep that in mind, that we are both, because what can happen is that we can become very cosmic. We lose, let's say, our humanity, our form, or we can become too much human, so we lose our divine aspect, let's say. So we are both. The vastness of the universe and the particular expression that we are, but that particular expression is holy, is important, and has the power to bring all the creation into the light of Christ. Yeah, that's a good point. Usually it's the second thing you said, that we're caught up in our individual life and we don't have the cosmic perspective. But I've actually heard some spiritual teachers get too heavy on the cosmic perspective and not take the individual perspective seriously enough. I once heard a teacher say it doesn't matter what happens to the earth because it's just like a little speck of dust. Of course, it matters what happens to the earth and to the people living on it. That's why Christ is so concerned and involved with what's happening to humanity. And yeah, eventually the earth will be melted, you know, when the sun expands and becomes a red (laughs) giant, but all the souls will find a place to go. But in the meanwhile, we have an opportunity here to make the best of this place. Absolutely. So that's something that is very clear in Choose Only Love. It is a call to integrate our humanity with our divine aspect. That's the meaning of being the Christ that we truly are. We are both at the same time and we cannot separate our divine aspect and our human aspect. So our body is is, is holy and is sacred because it's the gate 
through which I can access my divine aspect. My humanity is the portal through which I can express who I am. And expression is so important because according to Choose Only Love, we need to express ourselves in order to know who we are. Otherwise, we don't know who we are. So our humanity is the way we express who we are. And there's no reason why I have the human experience and not be in love. So if we think that we are just divine, we can run the risk of having some kind of spiritual bypass. That means that we don't love our humanity. And something that I understood from the divine love is that the divine love loves everything. And when it says everything, that means everything. So that means my humanity, my personal experience. So the call of Choose Only Love is to embrace our humanity, to honor our humanity, and to bring that humanity into Christ. So we can give it to him and we can become the oneness that we truly are. Nice. I have a friend named Craig Holiday who wrote a book called Fully Human, Fully Divine. Absolutely. That's yeah. the essence of Choose Only Love. And the novelty that it brings is that we are ready to express that in our reality here and now, not only as individuals, but collectively. It is a time in history, according to Jesus, in which we can express the Christ that we are so fully divine, fully human. That is called Homo Christus Deo, which is the, the third book of Choose Only Love series. That expression, Homo Christus Deo, means what you said, fully divine, fully human, being expressed here and now with the life that you have. Great. A few questions have come in, so I want to ask those. I have about five questions to ask that have come in. And uh, also, there's some other main points that our friend Glenn sent in, so I want to be sure to cover those. So let's pace ourselves. We have a little bit more than half an hour left, and we want to cover all these things. Joe Irwin from Philadelphia is asking, some people develop a relationship with Holy Spirit rather than a more individualized entity, as you have described. How would you consider the role of Holy Spirit versus that of Jesus or Mary or an archangel? Thank you for that question. In my case, I also have revelations directly from the Holy Spirit. It is more expressed and shown in other books than the series of Choose Only Love. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit that is expressed in a different way than Jesus Christ or the Immaculate Mother Mary or archangels, in my case. And the Holy Spirit is, is a being, is a spirit, is a spirit of love that comes from Christ. I would say is one of the realities of heaven. And of course, he can talk to you as he talks to me. And sometimes he just talks to us because we just need to talk in terms of spiritual ways. Uh, the Holy Spirit is always a spirit. So it is beyond shape and forms. And sometimes the soul needs to talk in that way. And that's why the Holy Spirit comes to that person. Here's a good one. This is from Ed Kelly. If I believe myself to be love, 
can I at the same time continue to work in the oil and gas industry, given what we now know about climate change? So let's say you had a lucrative job in the oil and gas industry, or let's say you uh, something that's environmentally devastating. Would you have to quit that job knowing what you now know or experiencing what you now experience of, of love? Once you know that you are love, you live in a new consciousness. Love is consciousness and it's, it's not a feeling or a, a belief or a thought. It's what you are. It's a matter of identity. So once you are love and you realize that you are love, immediately everything in your life will be related to love. If you understand that that job is creating damage to others, your heart will tell you to quit that job. If you think that that experience of your job is an opportunity to forgive others, or there can be a reason why you are there, you will follow after what love tells you. You will be listening to the voice of love and you will do everything that love tells you to do. But I would say that most of the time, love would tell you not to be part of that system. And the reason why I say this is because based on my experience, something that was shown to me is that we are always part of a big chain. And that chain can be chain of light, chain of love, or chain of fear. And you will see that very clearly. And you will never want to be part of the chain of fear or anything that is against love. So in that context, I would say that you would quit that job. I would say that theoretically, if you're the CEO of Exxon or BP or something like that, you could say, okay, folks, we're going to completely change this business. We're going to basically shut down our, our oil and gas business as quickly as possible and turn it all into a solar business, solar panels, windmills. We're going to get into alternative energies. In fact, BP now says that those initials stand for beyond petroleum. But usually what happens, unfortunately, is these people, they lobby the politicians to keep the oil and gas business thing going with the coal and so on. And they resist and retard efforts to shift to clean technologies. So I'm I'm being idealistic to imagine that executives in this company would be willing to um, rock the boat to that extent. Or like the tobacco industry, theoretically, they could shut that down. Maybe it wouldn't be as lucrative, but they could come up with something else that would uh, use the same farmland to grow something healthy. I don't know. I'm just being nutty, overly naive, I guess. Jesus talks to me about that as well, because I, I was thinking about sometimes and he said that the transformation will come from a new consciousness it's not something that is going to be done just because we think about that or we concluded that this is a wrong way to do the things and we will change it's going to be an effect of a new consciousness so there will be an a universal phenomenon a universal act of consciousness in which we are all going to let's say, jump into a new consciousness. In that new consciousness of love, you would never do something that love would never do. So 
you don't want to participate in anything that is against love or something that is against you. So you will reject all of that and you will find a way to solve that problem. Not because of your intelligence right now, but of a, a new consciousness, a new way of understanding everything. Good point. We could apply this to politics too. You know, some people say, well, why can't this politician change everything or that politician change everything? Really what we need is higher consciousness. A rising tide lifts all boats and then the politicians will actually be able to work out the problems. But I, th I think you could put Jesus Christ in the White House and he would have a hard time solving everything if we have a low level of consciousness predominating in the nation. Well, I don't think he wouldn't go. You think he would or would not go? He would not go because of the uh, stage of consciousness, because the consciousness gives you clear vision of what you have to do in this moment to extend the love that you are in humanity. There are some places in which you cannot do that because they are still far away from the decision of being loved. They have to wait in time in terms of being able to do that. It's a matter of time. So Jesus Christ wouldn't go there in a time in which that part of the consciousness was not able to live in the light because he knows what part of the whole consciousness, the whole universal consciousness is ready to shine with the light. And it is from that part where the consciousness of love shines to embrace other aspects of the creation. Let's say like the creation is having one part with light and another part with darkness. And we have to make the light grow and grow and grow to make the darkness disappear. So rather than trying to change politicians, we need to do our best to grow in terms of our consciousness of the true love that we truly are, the consciousness of Christ that I am will extend the light to others and they will be able to return to the light because of the light that emanates from me. Good point. Just to reiterate, I think unless higher consciousness prevails in a society, that society that people just won't be able to elect leaders who are truly wise, who are who themselves reflect higher consciousness. You're just going to continue to, you know, put crazy people in office if if the collective consciousness itself is crazy. I agree with that because everything is an effect of consciousness. If we are not in the consciousness of love, the effect will be something against love. Here's a question from Giovanni Spampenato. Nice Irishman from Pennsylvania. I've been on a journey to discover who I am for, and it is the only thing that matters to my heart. I want to know if I am looking into God's eyes and I pray for this every day, I keep meditating, asking the same question over and over to God. There are energies crossing my body that are at times very strong but blissful. I need to get there. Any suggestion? 
question is a little bit incoherent, but I think he's saying he just has this yearning for God and for living all the kinds of things we've been talking about today. And he just really wants that. And uh, he's experiencing blissful energies very strongly sometimes, but he maybe feels he's not there yet. Any suggestions for really getting there more profoundly? What I would say that is that you are already there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be thinking about that because sometimes it's not about where we are in terms of our consciousness, but it is about understanding. If we don't are there, we wouldn't even look for that. When we seek the truth, when we look for love, it is because we know what love is and what the truth is. And that is because you are there. It is in your longing where the truth lives. In your what? Greater, when you desire something. Your longing. Okay, good. When you desire something with God, that desire is telling you something. You desire that because you are already there. That's why Jesus says in Choose Only Love that your desire to love is where love resides. Because otherwise we wouldn't have that desire to love. So when you are not in the consciousness of love, you don't desire to know what love is. If you don't know who you are, you don't desire to answer that question. So if you have that desire, those questions in your mind and your heart, that's a perfect example that you already achieved that stage. That's why Choose Only Love says that it is time of not looking for any more you already found it because you desire that. So we can connect with our desire and understand that there is a knowledge in that desire, the knowledge of being already in where we desire. That's good. I think people can take heart if they have the longing or the desire to know God or to reach enlightenment or any of those things. The very fact that they're thinking about that stuff I don't know if they're fully already there, as fully as they could be, but they, they're at least close. Maybe there's a little bit yeah. of more polishing of the dust off the mirror but that needs to be done, but they're in pretty good shape if this is a priority for them. Absolutely. And according to Choose Only Love and to Jesus, you are already there. But I know sometimes we need time to integrate that truth. That is the distance that we experience between the desire of God and being with him. If you desire God from the bottom of your heart, that means that you are already with him. You already achieved that stage of consciousness. So there's nothing else to look for. However, our thinking mind can start taking time to integrate that truth. But it is just your thinking mind. It's just a tiny aspect of your soul, which is thinking about how can I be with God if I'm still human, or so many different thoughts against the fact that you are already with him. But here is what Jesus says. If you desire to be with me, it is because you are already with me. Yeah. We could take examples of various saints, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila. I mean, many of them went through a period of longing and yearning in, in which they're their fervor for God was really extraordinary. And then there was some kind of cleansing or purging or, you know, integration that had to take place, some dark night of the soul they had to go through before they really rested in the fullness of that experience. 
Or you take someone like Mother Teresa, devoted her whole life to Jesus and to serving the poor and the sick and all that stuff. But then she, in her posthumous writings, revealed that she had all these doubts. I think there can always be more fullness, more growth. You know, you can be content, and yet there can be even greater fullness of that, don't you think? In that case, doubt come from our thinking mind, what we call uh, the thinking mind in Choose Only Love. That's why it's so important for Choose Only Love to go to your heart. Maybe you don't know whether you are with God or not, but maybe you have doubts about that. But you certainly know that what you desire. You know what you feel. If you desire to be one with God, you can keep in that feeling, keep in your heart, and you will Step by step, little by little, you will recover the capability to understand the language of your heart. And when you remember the language of your heart, you will remember the language of love. And in that language, you will know with certainty that you are already with Christ. When you have doubt, that means that your mind is telling you something and your heart is telling you something different and you are called to get into the language of your heart to tell your mind what the truth is until the moment in which you get into the integrity of your being and in that moment your mind and your heart will think and talk in the same way but so far if there is a difference between what your mind says and what your heart tells you, the truth is in your heart. And in your heart, we know what we feel. We feel thirsty of God. And that is because we are already with him. Yeah. No matter what the thinking mind says. Well, I'm glad you made that distinction because, you know, when you say to somebody, you're already there. Most people are going to say, I don't feel like I'm already there. What's missing? But then when you explain and you say, okay, well, step by step, little by little, you know, your heart and mind are going to come into congruence with one another and you'll settle into the true experience of it. Then that gives hope to people. There are teachers of Eastern systems who say, oh, you're already enlightened. You don't have to do anything. Just realize you're already enlightened. And the average person listens to that and it, they just don't get it there's this debate that goes on between the direct and the progressive paths. And, you know, I'd say that each has something to offer. It's true, ultimately, that we're already there, whatever we want to define there as. Here's a good quote from some Zen teacher. He said to his students, you're all perfect just as you are, but you could all use some improvement. That's a great expression. Just only love says or talks about that in a different way, telling us that, Love and truth are infinite. So we are always able to love more and to know more about the truth. So it is a growing happiness, a growing love, a growing truth, because love is endless. So we can always, always grow in terms of how to love in perfect way. Good. Here's a question from Carl Brown in Sydney, Australia. Would Sebastian discuss the overarching theme of his angelic messages that the second coming of Christ, consciousness, has begun on earth and nothing will stop it? How will this phenomena express or manifest itself worldwide? How do people know if they have been touched by this event or how can they contribute to its loving extension? 
that is going to be, and it is being a matter of consciousness, of universal consciousness. So rather than knowing about that with our thinking mind, we are going to leave that more and more. So no one can escape from this universal new consciousness. So the universal consciousness is bringing light to all of us, and we are expressing that new consciousness with our humanity. Nothing can stop that because it's part of the new creation and that is conducted by Christ. So the only thing we can do is to be part of that. And we are all being part of that because we decided to come to the earth in this time and space to co-create that new consciousness with Christ. So everyone is participating in this new consciousness. There are a few points that Glenn, your publisher, thought we should talk about. One is he said, especially now that Easter is near, I think the topics discussed in healing and resurrection are timely. That is the title of one chapter of Choose Only Love. It talks that we are now in the time of the resurrection, the resurrection to the truth of who we are. Christ always tells us about the issue of identity. For choose only love, when you know who you are, you are already resurrected to the truth. Once you know that you are love and nothing else but love, every healing comes to you. You cannot be not healed if you live by the truth. So we are in a time in which the love that we are is healing the world and is healing us as well. That's why in this time of history, human beings are much more aware of the capability of healing. And we see so many manifestations of healers and healing ways all over the world. If we compare this with thousands and thousands of years ago, we see healing expressions all over the world. And that is because the healing power of our consciousness is being manifested as part of what love is doing with the whole creation through us. So we are in the time of healing, in the time of resurrection. So the call from Choose Only Love is to accept that, that we are already resurrected to the truth because we know who we are And once we know who we are, we know that Christ and I are the same and one. And that is the reality and the truth that we heal the world. Good. Another point, a lot of people are concerned about Ukraine and the the world crisis and possibility of the expansion of that conflict and so on. So Glenn thought that we should talk a little bit about global transformation and I think we already have, but maybe we can say more about it. Where do you imagine the world being at 100 years from now or 50 years from now, whatever timeline you wish? Throughout recorded history, there have been wars, famines, and plagues, and all kinds of problems. Most people probably assume that it's going to continue like that. Do you really envision a um, somewhat utopian world within a a generation or two? From my point of view, from my understanding and the revelation that I receive, I see 
a world of light. I see a world of growing and growing every day in love and peace and a world that is going to finally express the love that we truly are. The sun of the light, which is an expression that Choose Only Love uses, according to our Immaculate Mother Mary, are already here in this earthly kingdom. And they are shining with the light of Christ. And that is what is going to be the reality of this world. So we are being witness of the very end of the ego mind in our reality, in our earthly reality. And I see a world of light, of love and peace and a world more united to God. Glenn's final point, you know, given the awakening recognition that the dominance of the thinking mind is essentially the problem rather than the solution, I think this topic will also be of interest as articulated in wisdom, free will, and willingness. One of the revelations that Choose Only Love brings is that rather than thinking that there is something wrong in our mind or in in our humanity, we can think that everything can be integrated into love. So it is all about who you are. Your mind will think as an effect of what you believe you are. When you believe that you are not love, your mind will follow after that because your mind is a servant. It's always task what you ask it to do for you. So if you tell your mind constantly, deep from your heart, that you are a miserable sinner or something wrong with you or not enough, not good enough, then your mind will reflect that. But once you accept that you are divine, that you are holy, that you are love, just because you have been created by God and you are united to him and you merge your being with Christ, then your mind will follow after that. And the effect of that is going to be thought of love and your free will is going to be converging into love. So it is not about our thinking mind or our free will or our heart. It's all about who I am and how we answer that question. One point, you said that everything is alive by virtue of God pervading and living through us. And I really like that. It's not that when we die, God leaves us because God is omnipresent, as I understand and feel God is. So God is present in a dead body as in a living body. But that which we call life, you know, the life of a person or of a cat or of a flower or anything else, there's a certain consciousness, which is really the consciousness of God functioning through that particular instrument or reflecting through that particular instrument. So when you were saying earlier today that we already are that and, you know, you're already one with God and everything, that to me is a, a way of understanding that. And at least we can understand it intellectually. And if we can understand it intellectually, that God is on the present, therefore God must permeate or pervade whatever we are, then perhaps that's a, an aid in having it be a living experience rather than just an intellectual understanding. You're right, because now most of the time we try to understand through our thinking mind. But what we call death is 
a new consciousness. So we start to understand through our consciousness, not only with our thinking mind. And this is something that can happen even with this body. We believe in this human experience that we think about ourselves because of this body and we act as we act because of this body. But that is simply not true. There is something before or beyond our body, which is our identity. So our body just does whatever we ask it to do. So our identity, what we believe about who we are, and our relationship with Christ is not going to change because I'm dying or not. It's going to change because I change it with my consciousness. And in that sense, Chusong Lilab says that uh, nothing happens when we die because we are still being who we are. And that part of who we are can never change. And can never die. Well, exactly. That and, and also, there is one chapter in which it talks about the lack of capacity of the world to change who you are. Nothing that you have experienced in this world changed the essence of who you are. And that is what you are going to realize when we die. When we die, we are going to experience who we are with our consciousness. And it's not going to be an interpretation. It's going to be a direct knowledge. That is the way of living of our true self. Yeah, that's why I like to sometimes interview near-death experience people, because they've really had a glimpse of the undying nature of who we are. And very often they didn't believe in any such thing before their near-death experience, but then when they had it, it completely shifted their perspective. So if you read some of those books or listen to some of those interviews, I have a whole section in the categorical index on Batgap of, of such people. It definitely broadens your perspective, deepens your perspective. Yes, and there is a, something common on all of them, according to what I read and I watch on videos, which is that they keep being who they are. They don't experience any change in what they are. No matter whether the experience is different or not, they are still being who they used to be and who they will be forever and ever. And in fact, they very often experience themselves in a much more profound way. They're still the same person, but their capacity for understanding and perception expands significantly. Because they start to understand through the consciousness instead from the interpretation of our thinking mind. Right, right. Okay, well, this has been great. You've written this seven-book series, Choose Only Love, and I'll have a link to it on your page on Batgap. Are you still writing? I mean, you, you're a young man. You've got a lot, a lot of time ahead of you. Are you going to keep getting messages and writing book series, do you think? Yes, I keep receiving. And after Choose Only Love, there will be another expression, which is so far is going to be called Trilogy of the Heart, which are three books. And then there is another book, which is coming right now, which is particularly focused on the age of the heart. So, yes, the heaven is still giving us messages and <laughs> it wants to share with others. You still have a lot of lead in your pencil. Oh, yes. God calls you his pencil. Thank you for asking. Yeah, great. Well, thank you for uh, spending the time with us. It's been a real joy. 
you'll be doing a Spanish translation of this too, not in audio, but at least in writing. So if anyone listening to this, Spanish is their native language and they'd like to read our dialogue in Spanish, well, that'll be available after a while. There'll be a link to it on BatGap. Anything else you'd like to say in conclusion? Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. So thank you so much. And thank you to those who have been listening or watching. Next week, if she's back from Poland, I'll be interviewing a woman named Shelley Tigleski, who is a, a yoga teacher, and she's been over in Poland helping Ukrainian refugees. There's a nice example of love in action. That's our next one. There's an upcoming interviews page on BatGap where you can see what we've got scheduled there, scheduled up into about June now. So we'll see you for the next one. Thanks, Sebastian. Thank you, Rick. I have a wonderful day ahead. You too.